Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke this morning once again. Luke and the second chapter. Luke chapter 2, verse 41, beginning. We'll be getting to that text here in just a moment. Um, I've been asked to make mention that Ashton Wilson and Katie Smith are getting married next Saturday at 2.30 at the Benton Event Center. And uh, the information, the announcement is on the bulletin board on the right as you're going out the building. Check the details. All are invited to that. Um, I know that Ashton and Katie are both excited. And uh, Ashton asked me yesterday to make sure that I had some real good words of encouragement for him in getting married. Um, I just hope that I can do that. I don't, I don't know about, I mean, marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. If you treat it right and if you do what's right, it's a wonderful thing. And so hopefully they know what they're getting into. I, I think they do. And uh, it's a joyous occasion, so they're asking for you, your presence, actually, at that wedding. So, all right, sitting at the feet of Jesus is what we're going to be talking about this morning again. Last week, we talked about Mary and Martha from Luke chapter 10 and how uh, Mary had chosen that good part. Martha was busy about many things and troubled about many things, but Mary had chosen that good part. That was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. So I want to pick up with that concept again, that same pattern of thought, and extend it a little further to the idea of learning how to use the Scripture. Mary was listening to what Jesus said. We need to be listeners to what Jesus said. How do we use the Scriptures in our life? What is our attitude towards the Scriptures? Um, I've been accused of being a Bible idolater. Because I believe that the Bible is God's word and I need to follow it. I need to understand it. I need to rightly divide it. I need to follow it. I need to teach it to others. That doesn't make me a Bible idolater. That makes me a follower of God's will. That's what it makes me. So learning how to use the scripture. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. What was Jesus' attitude towards the scripture? You know, many people today claim to believe in Jesus. I put that little meme up last week. That girl who was sitting there said, I love Jesus, but I don't like that Bible stuff and that doctrine and theology stuff. Oh, okay, wait a minute. You like Jesus, you love Jesus, you want to follow Jesus, but you're not concerned about what he says? That doesn't follow. That doesn't correlate. If we're truly interested in following Jesus, we're going to be interested in what Jesus has to say. And what he has to say is recorded in the Bible. And I need to understand what Jesus has said in his word. The almighty creator has given us a Bible. This Bible is the owner's manual to life here on this earth for us. It provides us everything we need to know about the God whom we serve and the Jesus Christ who died for us. It has everything that we need to know in order to be pleasing to God and in order to get from this world into the next world in glory in heaven with God and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit forever and ever and all the other saints and the angels in heaven, the Word of God tells us how to get from here to there. But if we do not follow that Word, we're going to wind up somewhere else. And that is separated from God. And we've got a choice. Believe God's Word and follow it. Or not. As we talked about in class this morning, you know, the, the consequences, I, I don't have any control over that. I have a choice, but I do not have control over the consequences of my choice. It is what it is. So by rejecting it, we will condemn ourselves to eternal separation from God. Don't you think it's important that we understand what the Bible says, what it teaches? Don't you think it's important that we spend our time learning from Jesus Christ, sitting at his feet, learning not only what he says, but how we should approach what he says. Men have produced countless books, sermons, videos, TV shows, movies about the Bible. 
There are some of these that are helpful. I've got several books in my library that I believe are very helpful in understanding the Bible, very helpful in understanding uh, our attitude towards the Bible, books on evidences about the Bible, supporting the trustworthiness of the Bible. Uh, there, are, there are many books that are written that are indeed helpful, but so many are not. In fact, I'd say by far the most are not helpful, but a hindrance to our understanding of the Bible because so many people fail to understand it. They fail to properly respect the Bible. So many people discredit the Bible. They try to... They try in their writings and in the things that they say on television, discredit the authenticity, the inspiration, and the trustworthiness of the Bible. These men are simply servants of Satan, not of God. So how should we think about the Scriptures, and how should we use them? Well, let's go back to the feet of Jesus. And let's learn from Jesus how we ought to view the Scriptures and how we ought to treat them and how we ought to follow them. As Christ followers, as Christians, that certainly should be our goal, right? Let's go to, to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. It says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances, so they, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son... Why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Now what's interesting, they, they did, they went back to Jerusalem and they spent three days looking for him. Why didn't they go to the temple first? Hmm. But that's where Jesus was, and he was sitting with the scribes, with the teachers of the law. What were they teaching? What were they talking about? Well, they were talking about the law of God. They were talking about the scriptures. And Jesus was listening and asking questions. His desire was to know, to understand. And they were amazed at his understanding as he taught them because of his understanding of the scriptures. Did Jesus think the Scriptures and understanding the Scriptures was important? Even at a very early age, the age of 12, that was his main desire. His father's business. Something that Jesus clearly set forth in the New Testament is that his view of the Scriptures, it's not it's just a good storybook, it's not that these are some good principles to live by. And that, oh, God gave us, yeah, God gave the Bible in general, or He gave ideas to men, and they wrote these things down. And, you know, we ought to live by them if we, if we want to. And it's, it's, it's a good book. That wasn't Jesus' opinion of the Bible. He saw the Scriptures as authority, and He spoke according to the Scripture. And when He spoke according to the Scripture, the people were amazed at how He spoke, because he spoke with authority. You know, when Jesus spoke, he often says, Thus saith the Scripture. This is what the Scripture... Have you not read? In fact, over and over again we see that. Jesus' view of the Bible, the Old Testament, the Scriptures that he's referring to, is, is that this is true. All of it's true. This is of God. You know, the story of creation. People today, they, you know, they think that the story, the biblical account of creation is just some metaphor. Uh, they don't accept it as truth. What a sad, sad thing. But, you know, we've been kind of conditioned regarding that from our society. There was even a teacher down at Florida College a while back that was teaching the day-age theory and trying to mold the story of Genesis into the evolutionary scale that scientists, uh, atheistic scientists, try to put forth. And we can't, 
we, we can't try to accept atheistic science and then the natural evolution that they put forth and try to harmonize that with the Bible. You can't harmonize those two things. They are contradictory. No question about that. But God's Word is true, and Jesus confirms that truth of God's Word. And so when, you know, I just kind of... We went to the uh, Science Museum in Hot Springs last week. With, I went with Janara, and I had these dinosaurs, you know, millions of years old. These dinosaurs supposed to have roamed the earth millions of years. No, it wasn't millions of years. They're at, and they said dinosaurs existed way before human, human beings did. Well, how is it that there are tracks, human tracks, in dinosaur tracks, fossilized? How does that happen? If that, you know, it's just... Anyway, that's a whole different study, a whole different story. But Jesus accepted the creation account in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. And, and you know what else? He accepted Abel. And he accepted the story of Jonah being swallowed by the great fish in Matthew 12, 38 through 41. You've heard me tell the story of the little girl who's riding on the bus and she sits down beside this man. And she's got her little storybook there and talking about Jonah. And he's the man says, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? She says, yes, I do. And he says, well, you really believe in heaven and God and all that? Yes, I do. And so he says, what happens if you get to heaven and Jonah isn't there? Jonah's not in heaven. What are you going to do then? Well, she says, what is that? I don't, I don't care. You know, you ask him. <laughs> He's not in heaven, you ask him. So, yeah, Jonah, Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, the burning bush, the story of the manna. All this is true. The brazen serpent, John 3, the brazen serpent, David, Saul, all this is true. Jesus considered the scriptures inspired down to the smallest letter. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 17 and 18. Jesus said that not one jot or one tittle will pass in the law till all is fulfilled. Every jot, every tittle. Now, a jot was the name of the smallest Hebrew letter. And the tittle were these little markings over certain letters. In other words, a little mark would determine the difference between the terms shin and sin. One little mark. One little dot, actually. In fact, I don't know, I've got it there. There's a little dot there for shin. Notice it's on the other side of the same symbol, but it's on the other side. It's a difference in the words. But every single tittle was inspired of God. And not one would fail to be fulfilled. That was Jesus' attitude of the extent to which the Old Testament was inspired, was of God. Jesus referred to the Scriptures as the final authority the infallible standard against which there was no appeal. Regardless of what we thought or what man thinks about a thing, the Bible is still the final authority. It is the truth. It is God's Word. And so when the rich young ruler come to Jesus asking him, what must I do to be saved? Or when the lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Both times, what does the Scripture say? The authority of the Scripture cannot be set aside. I cannot push it away as though it is unimportant because it is the authority of God. And the authority of the Scripture and the truthfulness of the Scripture does not change by time. What was true 2,000 years ago and recorded in Scripture as far as God's will is concerned the things that God expects of men, how God expects men to live, the things that He commands us to do, and the things that He forbids us to do, still the same. You go back 20, 25 years, 2,500 years, still the same. As far as God's will is concerned, uh, what God said is what it says. It doesn't change. You go back 1,500 years, still the same. There are certain things that have always been the same. 
God has never changed his mind about those things. God has never changed his law about those things. You know, it's interesting, you go to Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus talks about marriage, divorce, remarriage. Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning. God made one man and one woman, and he joined them, and what God had joined together, let not man put us apart, let not man put us under. That has always been the case. And in 2019, a lot of people don't believe that anymore. So, when you think of all the things that we may ask about, if it's of any importance to God, we can find in His Word His, His will on the matter. You know, in Matthew 12, and verses 1 through 7, Jesus' disciples were going through the grain field with Jesus, and they were taking some of the grain, and they were putting it in their mouth and chewing on it and eating it. And, uh, the, the rulers of the Jews came to Jesus and said, Your disciples are breaking the law. They're violating the Sabbath because it was on the Sabbath day that they were doing this. And so Jesus says, have you not read how David, talks about how David went into the synagogue and he ate the bread, that, the showbread, that was only for the priest to eat. And what Jesus' point was, okay, David did this, but they didn't have a problem with David doing what he did. And David did something that was wrong. But yet the Jews didn't have any problem with what David did. They exalted David. David's a great king, a great man. But now you're condemning my disciples when they're not breaking the law. Their hypocrisy is what Jesus is pointing out. But how did he do it? He went to the scriptures. Have you not read? And he, just, he upheld his point and his position with what the scriptures said. Question on how a Jew could gain eternal life. The lawyer says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, what is written in the law? The answer then was, thou shalt love thy neighbor, or that thou shalt love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. You said, you're right, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Then he gives a parable, Good Samaritan, illustrating his point. But what does the law say? In Matthew 19, the question of divorce, is it lawful to put away your wife for just any cause? That was the question that the Pharisees asked. And Jesus responds, have you not read? And he goes all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 2 and verse 24. And of course their response to that was, then why did Moses give a bill of divorcement and saying that you can put away your wife? And Jesus' response to that, from the beginning it was not so. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder, was Jesus' statement. And then in verse Verse 9, he says, Whoever puts away his wife and marries another, except it be for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is put away commits adultery. That was, that was Jesus' response, and he based it upon the Scripture. And they could understand that. The Scripture provided the authority. Regarding the resurrection in Matthew 22, the Sadducees this time come to Jesus and say, and in fact we read, Brent read this in your hearing a few moments ago. Jesus said, you err not knowing the scriptures. You know, they gave a hypothetical situation. I love it when people give me hypothetical situations. What about that fellow on the way to the baptistry, but he falls over a rock or falls down a cliff and, he's die, and he dies? Or he's driving on his way to be baptized and he's hit by a diesel truck and he dies. Or maybe he just has a heart attack. And he dies. Anyway, all the scenarios are the same. The hypotheticals are the same. Somebody dies before they're able to get into the baptistry. Personally, I've never heard of that happening. I'm not going to say that it could not happen. But I do believe that God is going to see us through. But here's the point. You could also back that up to the previous step. What about faith? What if a person is on his way to hear the gospel for the very first time and a diesel truck runs into him? What about that fellow? You know what? You can use hypothetical situations to get yourself out of any truth of God's word if that's what you're intended to do. 
Why can't we just accept what the Scriptures teach? Usually it winds up being the, for the very reason said, they didn't want to believe that. They, it went against their belief, right? It went against their eschatological view. They believed that there was no such thing as a resurrection. So they come up with this hypothetical to illustrate their belief, and Jesus simply says, they, you are not knowing the Scripture. Or the power of God. And you know what Jesus then does? He gives them the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in reference to it, going all the way back to the book of Exodus, actually, where God speaks to Moses saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am. He didn't say I was. He didn't say I used to be. He said I am. And this was a long time after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had gone to the grave. They still existed at the time that God said, I, and Jesus makes his entire argument off the tense of the verb am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Jesus' argument. He based it upon what the scriptures said, even the tense of the verb. We may be asked today, well, what must I do to be saved? Well, listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus taught and what he sent his disciples to teach. In Mark 16 and verse 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Why do people not want to believe that? What's so difficult about that statement? Acts 2 and verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Believe, repent. Baptism, those are three things right there that mentioned in just two verses that's necessary for us to receive the remission of our sins, to be saved, to be in a right relationship with God. Romans 6, verses 3 through 19. Do you not know that as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into His death? That you've been united together with Christ in baptism, in His death? You've been raised to walk in newness of life. And he goes on and talks about how now that you've been raised to walk, you are to walk in this new life. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. You've been baptized into Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Now live with Christ. You want to know what you must do to be saved? And there are some other scriptures there that, that help answer the question. And really what we need to know and understand is this. That when we take everything that God says about something, that's the truth about that thing. Whether we like that truth or not, that is the truth. Whether we want to accept it or not, it's still the truth. When we take everything that God says about a thing, when you find out everywhere that Jesus Christ and his disciples tell people what they must do to be saved, I think... You need to look at all those things. And then you need to feel, what is the truth? There it is. That's what the Lord see, says about it. That's what the Lord has taught us. Do we accept the authority of the Scripture? Or do we revert back to, well, I just don't think that's necessary. What about the doctrine of once saved, always saved? I know that there are passages that talk about the security of the believer, yes, who is a believer. A believer is a person who hears and follows Jesus. That's what a believer is. A believer is one who hears and follows Jesus. In John the 10th chapter, yes, that sheep that hears his voice and follows him, that's the one that's secure. But what if that sheep stops following Jesus? What if that sheep gets lost and turns, turns around and goes the other way and runs into a wolf? What happens to that sheep? If it stops following Jesus, it's not safe anymore. Yes, there are passages that talk about the security of the believer, but how many passages warn us of the danger and the consequences of ceasing or not following Jesus? John 15, verses 1 through 10. What about that branch that's attached to the vine? Jesus is the vine. You are the branches. You're attached to Jesus. What if you don't bear fruit? What if you don't abide in his words? It says you'll be cut off and thrown into the fire and you're burned. Now that's what Jesus himself said. Let's sit at the feet of Jesus and learn what Jesus said about that. 
The Apostle Paul used the children of Israel as an example. They were saved from Egyptian bondage, delivered and joined unto Moses, and entered into a covenant relationship with God. They had passed through the Red Sea. They were baptized in the cloud, under the cloud and in the sea. They were joined to Moses. They received the law, entered into a covenant relationship with God at Mount Sinai. And then they fell in the wilderness. And they did not reach the land of promise. I don't know of a clearer illustration of the need for the, for the saved person who's been saved from his sins to continue to be faithful to the Lord so that he may gain the promised land than that one. That is a vivid picture. Why is it that so many people reject it? Do we really accept the authority of the Scripture? Or do we just use the Scripture like a buffet line? We go in and we pick and choose what we want and think that's good. That's not the way Jesus used the Scripture. What about eschatology? Jesus said that the day is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. There's going to come a day. And on that day, both the dead, righteous dead, and the dead, the wicked dead, will come forth. The same day. The righteous under everlasting life, the wicked to everlasting condemnation. Now, we could talk about that, but I'm just making the point. Look, accepting the authority of Scripture is what we need to do. What do the Scriptures teach? It doesn't, it, it does not matter what my beloved grandparents or my beloved parents say. The Bible teaches. What really matters is what does the Bible teach itself. And let us always be determined and committed to following the truth wherever it takes us. Because the only way that we can help someone else, listen, if someone else does not believe the truth of God, the only way that we can help them is for us to learn the truth and follow the truth ourselves and help. hopefully we'll lead them out of the truth too. Holding on to error and holding on to false doctrine is not good. What is the work of the church? You know, the work of the church today, if you would listen to the evangelical church and the denominational churches that are out there, you would think that the work of the church is to be a great social uh, provider in the world. It is to be like a... Salvation Army organization. But that's not what the Bible says. The church is not a place where people go and have a good time. It's not a place to go to be entertained. That's not what what the church is about. The church is to build people up in what the Scriptures teach. The church is to be a place that teaches the gospel to the lost. The church is a place that we are a family and we take care of each other. Benevolence. We are a family, a people of God, and we help one another. But this is what the church is about. Today's Visible, professed church that's so common and popular is nothing more than a social club that has a good time. They do what they want to do. Worship how they want to worship, how it makes them feel. And have worship experiences. And they They just do whatever they want. God and His Word has no bearing on their behavior, on their actions, on their worship. And that's truly sad. We need to get back to respecting the authority of the Scripture. What about worship? Women preachers. Instrumental music. Go on and on. You know, women preachers... That seems to be popping up a lot. Uh, There's a fella here in Little Rock. 
at a church of Christ right down the road from us who has been teaching that women can preach. Hmm. Where did he get that from? He didn't get it from the scripture. He didn't get it from 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 34. Did he? He didn't get it from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Both of those passages, the Apostle Paul says, women are not to speak or have authority over a man. They're to be silent in the churches. When it comes to teaching, they're to be silent. That's their role. Now, are we going to listen to the scriptures or not? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, we would learn, if we truly were sitting at the feet of Jesus, we will learn that we are to accept the authority of the scriptures, that we are to follow the scriptures, not to dismiss them and do what we want. Because the reality is, Jesus makes this point himself in John the 12th chapter. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak, and I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. My friend, do you want everlasting life? You need to follow what the Lord says. Not what he doesn't say, but what he says. Do what he says, and don't do what he says not to do. And don't be presumptuous and think that you can do what he has not told you to do. Let us simply do what he says. Another passage in the book of Luke. In fact, we're just going ahead a couple of chapters in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus has been baptized, and now he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 2, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Forty days without food, yes, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, or every word of God. Now this is actually a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. But notice in verse 2 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, the Lord says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. Now, what has Jesus been doing? He's been in the wilderness for 40 days, being tested by the devil. To know what is in your heart, whether you, you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus quotes this statement, and he applies it to this particular circumstance. Satan is tempting him to turn this stone into bread. Nope. I'm not going to abuse my power. I'm going to do the will of the Father. And I have put more emphasis upon what God says than upon my physical food. Do we do that? Do we value the Word of God more than we value temporal, physical food for our fleshly body? Then the devil taking him up on, high, on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Again, a quote from Deuteronomy, this time from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And now, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You know, actually, that passage didn't say, you shall fear only the Lord. Although that's clearly implied, look at the next verse. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Jesus understood the text. And although he did not quote it 
technically exactly as it stated, the idea was there. The dynamic equivalent was there. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only you shall serve. Absolutely. And so Jesus used these scriptures to support Himself in this time of trial. And the Word of God is true. I must depend upon that and hold to that and not violate that. Then He brought Him to Jerusalem, set Him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Now see, Satan can use scripture too. Satan does that. He'll take a scripture out of its context. He will twist it and pervert it to say something that he wants it to say. Or usually by leaving something very important out. But this is, you know, he will send his angels. He will have his angels take charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He wasn't done with Jesus, but he left him because he was defeated in this moment. And how did Jesus defeat Satan in this moment? He resorted to what the scriptures said. It was through what the scriptures had said that he gained his strength to say no to Satan. Deuteronomy 6 again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Now notice verse 17 though. This is telling us how we are not to tempt the Lord. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. Now if Jesus had done something other than what God had commanded him and sent him to do, then he would have been tempting or testing the Lord in that way. He would be seeing whether or not God would punish him. And that's the idea. You shall not test or shall tempt the Lord your God. You do what he says, in other words, instead of what he hadn't said. You do what he says. That's how Jesus got through his temptation. In Psalm 119, in verse 9, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking Heed according to your word. Young people, listen to me. You want to know how to avoid temptation? Do you want to know how to say no to temptations, to sin? Well, you put God's word in your heart. You take heed according to the word of God. With your whole heart, listen, seek God. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Do we have a hunger and a desire for God's word? And do we take it, feeding upon it, taking it deep within our hearts and allowing it to guide and govern our lives? That's what it takes. Somebody says, well, I just, you know, I can't say no to temptation. I can't say no to sin. I cannot overcome this temptation in my life. What's your real problem? Your real problem is that you're not truly willing to do what's necessary. That's the real issue. And I can tell you there is no such thing as a temptation that cannot be defeated by the Word of God and through what God has provided us through His Word and in His Son, Jesus Christ. Nothing. In Ephesians 6, and verses 10 through 17, this point is made very clear. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of, the, of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Our enemy is powerful. And we cannot resist him on our own, by our own strength. But we can resist him with what the Lord provides us. Therefore take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. What is truth? John 17, 17 says, Thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. You need to know God's word. And you need to have that holding your pants up, if you will. We've got too many Folks walking around, running around with 
pants on the ground these days. They don't have a belt on. They need a belt on to hold their pants up. Well, that's kind of what the Word of God does. It holds your pants up. It keeps you covered. It keeps you secure. And so have your waist girded with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness here is the right things that God has given us to do. And we find that in Scripture too. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. We know what's right and we can do what's right through and by the Scriptures. It is that which protects us from Satan. But you know, listen, listen, you want to know how not to get involved in doing wrong things? Do right things. When you do what's right, you're not going to have time to do what's wrong. Be busy doing what God tells you to do. Right? And, then, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, this is talking about what you put on your feet. Listen, I've got really, I've, I've got bad tender feet. The preparation of the gospel of peace is to be put on my feet. This is my foundation upon which I stand and upon which I fight. And I need the gospel, the word of God, upon which I stand. I need to shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace that I may fight the fight of faith. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. He didn't say that you could quench most, or some, or a few, but all. That's what faith can do. But what is faith? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Do you see how important the Word of God is in standing against temptation and overcoming temptation in our life? How important is the Word of God? What if I do not have? a good working understanding of God's Word in my life? What if I'm ignorant of God's Word? I have no defense at all. None. How many people today have basically no defense at all against Satan? My friend, do we have that kind of defense? Have we built ourselves up through the Word of God that we may be able to stand and fight and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. These are the weapons of our warfare. They are spiritual in nature and they are produced through and by the Word of God. Do we understand how to use the Scriptures in overcoming temptation? It's important that you learn and you know what the Scriptures teach. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, John talks about how it's impossible for those who have been born of God. He says, they cannot sin. And the idea is that those who are following God, who are of God, they cannot sin while following God. And that's true. That's his point. A seed determines the nature of what is produced. And as long as that seed remains in us, that is, that is our governing principle of life, we are not going to sin. We can't sin while we are following God's Word. In order to sin, we have to stop following God's Word, at least in that moment. We have to do something different from what God's Word says. We have to stop following God in that moment. You cannot sin and follow God at the same time. But it is by the seed that is the Word of God that we can overcome sin, and if we are following God's Word, we will overcome sin in our life. Jesus taught us that. We must learn what the Scriptures actually teach. had a question on the radio program a uh, week before last, actually, and we talked about it all last week. How do you know that your interpretation is right? That was the question that I was asked. Do you recognize that you could be wrong? Sure. I understand I can be wrong. And so can you. All of us can be wrong. This is what I know. This is what I believe with all my heart. And I'm not wrong about this. God's word is right. God's word is true. And what God says is the truth, right? And so if I am following God's word and I'm constantly seeking to understand His will. I'm studying His Word to find out what the truth is. 
I believe I'll find it. I believe I can know it. And I believe that I can walk in that truth. We are instructed over and over again to seek out the Word of God. To understand it correctly. To be diligent. To study. To show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing or handling correctly the Word of truth. There is a right way and a wrong way to handle the Word of truth. There is a right way and a wrong way to handle the Scriptures. And so many people have no handling skills at all when it comes to the Scriptures. And so it's led to all kinds of false doctrines, false conclusions. The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, Acts 17.11. It says that they were noble. They had an honest heart. And it says they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things that they were taught were so. We can do the same thing. We can do exactly the same thing. We can understand the truth. Understand what the will of the Lord is. That's a command. The Lord is not going to command us to do something that we cannot do. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. Be not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That's Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae. Colossians 1, 9 through 11. That's his prayer and his hope for the brethren in Philippi. First and Philippians 1 verses 9 and 10. That we come to know and understand the truth. And we must apply and follow. You know, Jesus said in John 7, 17. If anyone wills to do his will, he will know the doctrine. The biggest and most important characteristic of a person. In order for him to understand the truth. And understand how to apply the truth. Is not so much intellect, but rather his will to obey it. His humility to accept it and his will to obey it. That's the greatest quality that's necessary. And if we're willing to do what the Lord says, then we can understand the truth. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. How do you find eternal life? I've already mentioned the lawyer, and I haven't mentioned the rich young ruler. Well, I did too. I mentioned him briefly. But there were two people who came to Jesus and asked, them, asked him, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus' response in both cases, what does the law say? What saith the scriptures? My friend, the same thing needs to be done for us. We need to go to the scriptures. We need to find out what the scriptures actually teach. Not what some man teaches. There are a lot of things that are taught. You, know, you ask the question, what must I do to be saved? There are a lot of different answers you're going to get these days. Some folks say, well, ask Jesus to come into your heart. Some will say, well, say the sinner's prayer. Different answers. Neither one of those answers are found in the scripture, by the way. But I can tell you what the scriptures do teach. Jesus sent his apostles to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 through 20. And the Great Commission as recorded by Mark in Mark 16, go and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. In Luke 24, verses 48 through 40, 44 through 48, the scriptures were to be uh, fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit was to come and guide the apostles and they were to go and teach all nations and leading people to repentance. This message is set forth in the New Testament. It tells us what to do. It tells us what the message was. It tells us what our response ought to be to that message. The book of Acts is filled with example after example after example. Why is it that the one thing that is found in every single case of conversion in the book of Acts the one thing that's mentioned is the thing that people say you don't have to do these days. Why is that? I'll submit to you, my friend, we need to do what the Bible says. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That question is asked three different times in the book of Acts. Once by the Apostle Paul, once by the Jews and the proselytes in Acts chapter 2, and by the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. And there are things involved in all of these that are found in every case. They were taught. 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. They were taught to believe that. Jesus himself said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus also taught that if you believe and baptize, you'll be saved. The apostle Peter taught people to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. He taught the same thing to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He also taught in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 that baptism also now saves us. The Apostle Paul also taught the same thing. He taught about faith in Jesus Christ. He taught about being baptized in Christ. He taught about repentance, all those things. Are we willing to accept what the Scriptures teach? The Scriptures are our guide to eternal life. And if we do what the Scriptures tell us to do, then we will be what the Scriptures say that we are. That's saved. That's right with God. If we're not willing to do what the Scripture says, what does that make us? It makes us not followers of Christ, but lost. And that's our choice. Are you willing to submit to the teaching of Christ? Are you willing to follow Him? Let's sit at the feet of Jesus and learn what He has to say and accept what He has to say because His words will judge us in the last day. I hope that we all can be found diligent in our search to make sure that we're right with God. That's what our efforts in searching the Scriptures should be for. Not to go to the Bible and try to uphold our position or our tradition to support what I want to believe, but rather, what is the truth? What does God say? That should be the motivation behind what I do in searching for the truth, searching the Scriptures. I need to rightly divide it. I need to handle it correctly. When we sit at the feet of Jesus, we can learn how to use the Scripture. And we need to realize that all the Scriptures are true. It is the Word of God. And that it can guide us in our life. We must submit to it, though, first. It must be our sole authority. And we must turn to that authority. We must follow that authority. We must submit to what God says in the Scripture. And rely upon it. It will help us in our temptations, our trials, our difficulties, our time of grieving. The Word of God is so beneficial. We can trust it and rely upon it. And it's not going to pass away. My friend, it's not going to change. The Lord Himself said that my words will not pass away. And these are the words that will judge us in the last day. Listen, there is no denominational creed book that's going to judge you on the last day. It's going to be the teachings of Jesus Christ and only the teachings of Jesus Christ that's going to judge you. How will you stand? How do you stand today? Are you willing to submit to the teachings of Christ today? Are you willing to be doers of the word and not hearers only? If you're willing to be baptized into Christ, you haven't done that and you need to be, now is the time, not next week or not next year, today. If you're willing to truly give your life to Him, now is the day of salvation, today. If we can help you in any way, won't you come while we stand?